This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and James Heal. Paula Venels, the former head of the post office, has just handed back her CBE. James, can you give us the details, please? Yeah, well, this afternoon uh, it was announced on the Press Association uh, agency that she was going to be handing back a CBE. This follows yesterday's main development, I'd say, from Rishi Sunak's PM Connect event, at which the Prime Minister said he would strongly support this move being taken. Normally, uh, politicians... Prime Minister is very keen to emphasise this as an arm's length body, the honour system. And so therefore it was, I think, a sign of perhaps the way the wind was blowing. Uh, more than a million people had signed the petition for Paula Venels to return that uh, CBE. And so I think that was one of key main political actors identified in this. Uh, the other has been Ed Davey, who's come out fighting since, pointing out that I think there were 16 other postal affairs ministers involved throughout the time when the prosecutions in the post office were going on from 1999 to 2015. As we discussed about on yesterday's podcast, it's obviously not a good look for Ed Davey um, and the Conservatives are very keen to lean into the fact that Ed Davey's obviously previously making lots of claims for people to resign. Over the last five years or so, he's called for 31 different public figures to resign. I think the other key issue, I'm just talking to a couple of Tory advisors today, was they were making the point that you know Ed Davey has tried to set himself up over the last few years as kind of the champion, the standard bearer for standards for, for some of those blue wall voters. The, the Lib Dems are suggesting that the Conservatives have kind of abandoned them and at a time when you're really trying to appeal to seats in the south of England, a lot of them, for instance, like Jeremy Hunt's seat where there was um, a po- sub-postmaster convicted wrongly in Farnham. These are, I think if you're standing up for decency and values, by having to be seen to have failed as acted on this, uh, Ed Davey is potentially neglecting some of those voters who feel really offended by this. Do you think that Paula Venel's handing back her CBE puts more pressure on people like Ed Davey or takes some of the pressure away from them? Well, I think it moves the story on and therefore the way that the news really seems to work is you almost move to the next scalp. So, you know, it's one person who said that, that they're going to step down. It probably closes the story, uh, not completely, but it will definitely mean stories relating to Venels are now reduced. You know, she has said that she she's noticed this. Obviously, you had a petition uh, saying she should be stripped of the honour, which had reached 1.2 million signatures. And therefore, you can start to see, well, if Venos has been talked about, what about Ed Davey? You see Ed Davey going into damage limitation yesterday, giving an interview where he did not apologise or necessarily, or by I mean apologise, he did not admit that he had, you know, done something malign or wrong he spoke about the hurt people had felt but was effectively saying that he like many had been fed information that proved to be wrong and um, so you can see the liberal democrats clearly realizing this is becoming a serious issue for ed davey in terms of his perception and um, some saying this is how the tories think they're going to claw back parts of the blue wall reduce the lib dem threat try and taint ed davey with the scandal which is clearly one that's being felt by lots and lots of the general public as a important issue after after so long since it began um and I think there will be more questions, but you can see both both trying to do what they need to do there. I think there's something quite interesting about saying, um, as Rishi Sunak did yesterday, that uh, Venos should you know, give back her honour, or that he you know he was supportive of the honours committee looking into whether she should lose the gong. Now, quite different, but it does open uh, you know 
an avenue now for Rishi Sunak to be asked about other gongs, of which there have been some in recent months and years, where lots of people say, oh, do you think now that um, Liz Trust, looking at her resignation honours list, I think that, you know, he will probably start to say at that point what we were talking about earlier, which is the honour system is distant, this is a practice. But it is obviously accepting the principle that when you think something is bad or undeserving enough, there, there is a way back on that as a, as a form. The government says that the Rwanda bill is coming back into Parliament today and tomorrow. What are the James, what are the debates about the bill that are going to be going on at this stage? Yep, so Penny Morden today announced it as her capacity as leader of the House and she did so in order to give time for amendments to be put forward on this. I think talking to someone on the right of the party, um, as previewed in last week's column, uh, was going to be, they're going to be looking at the Rule 39 orders, uh, whereby these are the so-called pyjama injunctions, which can stop flights and the ability to override though. That's one of the areas they're going to be looked at. Uh, and I think also looking at ministers' uh, discretionary power on this. And I think that wants to be, they want the right wants to really tighten that up. Some of them have concerns about, for instance, the minister who'd be in charge about this would be the, the Attorney General. Uh, that tends to be someone who perhaps is more defensive of the legal profession than some in the Conservative Party would like them to be. And also the current incumbent is Victoria Prentice, someone seen as being on the, the centre, the centre-left of the party. So I think those are kind of the issues. The other will be ECHR uh, membership, um, whether we should uh, the, the UK should be part of that convention. So I think that at a time when Tory MPs are really, some of their minds have started to focus on kind of life um, uh, on two things, one of which the election later this year and the lack of time, and second of all, what comes after that, we could see some positioning and jockeying around ECHR membership, which as we know, and Katie's covered extensively, has long been seen as a kind of fault line and a potentially um, a good issue around which to rally, a bit like in 2019 when the Get Brexit Done thing uh, got a lot of Tory voters over the line. I think when it comes to the battles next week, you are going to start to see all these different Tory tribes work together to see what amendments they want to try and put forward, where they have the numbers. Now, in terms of having the power, uh, the arithmetic that is going to get them what they want is clearly harder for the five families, as we now know them, because they're not going to have Labour or Lib Dems team up with them on amendments to harden the bill. Mm. You could have a situation, though, where One Nation MPs, if they decide to go for it, they are much more known for walking back from the brink, I think, than the right of the party. They could potentially team up with Labour or opposition parties to soften it. Even though Labour don't believe in the bill, you can start to see a world where they could say, well, we don't want this to happen anyway. Anyway, but if it is going to happen, we'll do the adult sensible thing and work to stop some of the more radical parts. I think, though, on the right of the party, it's still damaging for Rishi Sunak, speaking to MPs this morning, if there is a you know big Tory rebellion, because it starts to show, again, more disunity. And to James's point, it starts to suggest where the fault lines are. It will lead to talk about what happens in the event of a Tory defeat. You know, is this group going to be the group? Um, you know, it's something that could be leapt on by the Reform Party and so forth. So you are going to see uh, the Chief Whip and Number 10 trying to talk down, for example, you know, Last night, I think the chief whip has started what are going to be fortnightly drinks in the commons of MPs. Uh, he made a joke at this, uh, effectively saying, you know, the reason we're going to start these drinks from this year onwards is um, we are one family and uh, not several families, uh, which I think gives you a hint. But um, 
Rishi Sunak will have an incentive, even with the ones that seem like they're less likely to succeed, mm. still to water them down and try and talk back the rebels, because anything like that is just something which can be used to attack Rishi Sunak. And I'll be interested to see which of the rebel groups really lead on this in the coming weeks. Mm. Before Christmas, we saw Marc Francois, the European research group, was the one making the statement talking to some people in the new conservatives camp which is led by danny kruger and miriam cates they were suggesting that they might be playing more of a forward role so i think in terms of the kind of tory uh, anthropological sense of how the sense of the right is moving it could be more sort of new conservatives who are leading this rather than the erg who defined the right of the tory party throughout the brexit years and katie is it the expectation of the government that there'll be a that they'll be able to talk down all of the rebels or are we expecting some defeats in some areas I think it ultimately comes more down to the One Nation group. Obviously, you have to also see what Labour and the Lib Dems are going to do. Do they just completely abstain on some of these? Is there a Labour amendment, uh, potentially, where you could then uh, try and get a few One Nation MPs over to it? That could be one way of working for it. But... I think there's there's always space for problems to come up. And I think you will see, even with those amendments potentially where there aren't the numbers, could you start to see the right of the party using them to then as a way to have discussions with number 10? You have Damien Green, you know, seen as the figurehead of the One Nation group, saying in an interview this week that you know, Rishi Sunak had looked him in the eye and said he does not want this bill to go any further to the right than it currently does. But there are MPs on the right who think there is a way to push this. I think... You have Damien Green in one corner and you have Robert Jenrick in the other, the immigration minister who resigned, of course. And I think if you have quit your government role to over appoint a principle, as Robert Jenrick would put it, on this bill, you're not going to go and you know, sit back now. You're no longer a minister. You've done that for your own reasons. But given he said it related to the safety of Rwanda policy, the fact that he doesn't think it will work, I think that you will see an effort by Robert Jenrick, Suella Braverman and others to say these are the changes you need to make it workable. As for the numbers, it looks quite tricky at the moment. But I think the fact that a Tory rebellion is damaging in of itself means that it's still a moving picture. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you very much for listening.